Welcome to Political Zec, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, oh, hey, Corey. Hey, what's Happy up? Happy Memorial Todd? Day. Happy Memorial Day, and thanks to all those men and women who serve and who have served and have sacrificed so much and their families that have sacrificed so much for us. Thank you. Yeah, it's a special holiday for sure. All right, let's do it. So last week, Governor Spencer Cox and Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson marked their 500th day in office by releasing a list of their major, well, what they called their major achievements to the public. Uh, 500 days isn't a typical milestone, but I do think it's a savvy way to get some press about what they've been up to and what they've been doing in the past year and a half. Todd, I suspect you've had a chance to peek at what they put forth. How do you evaluate the governor's 500-day achievements? Yeah, I mean, 500 days, all, all 500 of those days have been in one form or another of the COVID pandemic. Um, and uh, a lot of the accomplishments that they're touting, and I'm, I'm not criticizing them for this, but they they were one of the cogs, right? You know, it wasn't just Governor Cox or just uh, Deidre Henderson. Legislature obviously played a, an important role. But I, I my takeaway from this is... Um, uh, Governor Cox has a really good communications team. I think that this, um, you know, in some ways was a slow, I mean, is a slow news week, not, of course, with Uvalde and everything, but with, in Utah, there wasn't a lot of news. And, and you know, these newspapers and these 10 o'clock news, they got to they gotta fill their content every day. And so when you hand them something like this, they they run with it if there's not, if there's not anything else going on. So um, I think Governor Cox has, um, uh I think he's exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Of course, the Trump crowd is not happy with Governor Cox. He's not been um, Trumpy enough or, or you know, um, uh, conservative enough. Uh, but I think the average Utah is very happy with Governor Cox. I've had several people come to me. They knew I supported Cox, you know, in the campaign. And they said, you know, I wasn't sure about him. I mean, this has happened to me probably three times in the last month. People that aren't overtly political come to me and say, you know, I wasn't sure about him. I knew you were supporting him. I trusted you, but boy, I, you were right. I really, I'm really happy with Governor mm. Cox. Now there is the crowd that, that hates him, you know, and I think he knows that. And, um, and we talked about Deidre Henderson getting booed a little bit at the convention, but um, he's in the top 10 in the nation in terms of, of approval ratings. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah. I'm going to, I want to take a peek at a few of these. So, in terms of their 500-day achievements, some of the things that they put down, I, I figured that you were going to call out the legislature because I have to. I, it's my job. <laughs> as, as, you know, as you should. I mean, the, the the biggest accomplishment to me certainly was the 300 million dollars in tax cuts, and that was a legislature-led thing, obviously. Well, and, and let me just tell you, Corey, more so than Governor um, Herbert, more so than Governor Huntsman, more so than Governor Olin Walker or um, uh, David Levitt. Uh, Spencer Cox, you know, months before the legislature convenes, he's talking to legislative leadership and they're very much on the same page. And it used to be the last week of the session, there's this big closed door meeting and there's a brawl between the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate and the governor's office. And they're literally uh, arm wrestling and and arguing. And that doesn't happen under Governor Cox because he's very collaborative. And he and Deidre Henderson have served in the legislature, so they know what that feels like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a great point to make, and it, it isn't made very often. And I, in, in terms of his, com, his comms team, I guess I would suggest maybe they think about like touting that a little bit more, you know, 
especially ahead of time, before the session starts, during the session, after yeah. the session, talk about how collaborative they were, basically like, I don't know, take some credit for, for driving the train. But on, uh, on the terms of this 500-day uh, list of achievements, I do think it's interesting the things that they chose. They said, I mean, they spent some money on some programs, at-risk students, early literacy, loan repayment for healthcare workers, uh, climate change initiatives, and then diversity and inclusion. They hired their first, he says, the first senior advisor for equity and opportunity, the first equity and inclusion accelerator, the first director for immigration integration. They had a, a gender pay gap study that we talked about, um, you know, a while back. Yeah. And now they're working on an equity opportunity framework that requires state agencies to complete an action plan. That, that's those are an interesting list of accomplishments for a Republican governor, I guess. is Well, is I, I'm going to I'm going to repeat a similar theme. If the Republicans are going to be a viable party in 10, 15, 20 years, um, they need to adapt. Um, I've got four four kids who are adults now. Um, I talk to them. I talk to their peers. Um, the, this rising generation, the, 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 the adults who are under 30, are not nearly as conservative, I think, Corey, as you and I were at their age. And um, they, they expect um, some of those things. And I'll tell you, I have a good friend who I've been team teaching with at BYU Law School for the past six years or so named uh, Carl Hernandez. He was just hired as BYU's first um, vice president of inclusion. And, you know, when BYU is creating a senior executive <laughs> position, uh, I mean, it's BYU, right? You know, the world has changed. And so I think some people are still saying, oh, well, this is just a woke liberal agenda, but um, the, the world has changed. And if, if you're going to remain nimble and competitive, you're, you're going to change with it. Yeah, there's certainly pressures coming from different places. Yeah, that is for sure. Okay, let's talk about another issue. We all know about the, the formula shortage. So the, the, the bottom line is accusations of contamination were made that uh, some of these two, two children were killed and some other or, or two died and then some other kids were, were sickened by who knows what, but the accusation was that it was contaminated baby formula. So the company Abbott, they made a voluntary recall and the FDA told mothers not to buy the brand. Uh, which is Similac, as it turns out, and the FDA kind of strong-armed them to shut down the plant. Well, come uh, come to find out, like, there's no evidence of contamination whatsoever. There actually is some evidence of, that the water, the, the bottle mixed the, the powder in, well, it may have been contaminated, but but no no evidence of contamination in the, in the actual baby powder. But um, a couple of things are at play here. The Democrats decided that they want to, in Senate, in the House and Senate decided to they wanted to pass a bill throwing $28 million to the FDA uh, for what I'm not entirely sure in that, I guess, to hire additional employees. Well, part of it is they're understaffed. Yeah. But uh, they just got a bunch of money from the last appropriations bill and even hiring new employees, that's going to take weeks or months. It's, it's actually not going to do anything whatsoever for this problem. It's a complete charade. And, uh, but that, you know, the Salt Lake Tribune seems to think that it's, this is like the, the end all the be all and, you know, they reflexively like criticize our Republican delegation. Every Republican in uh, in the Utah congressional delegation and both senators voted against it because I think they saw through the, the charade. A couple of things here. Mike Lee actually does have a plan. His uh, He has a bill called the Formula Act 
that would target the supply chain disruptions. The main problem here is a couple of big things. Number one, we have high tariffs and other trade barriers, such as like really nitpicky labeling requirements that makes it almost impossible for other country uh, companies in other countries to sell. Like Mexico has more formula than they need. And uh, but they can't send it to us. We can't we can't buy it because and so does your tariffs so and so regulatory does barriers. Yeah. And the other big problem is the WIC program, which is, you know, it's essentially it's a program to provide food for women with children like uh, babies. So it's kind of it's kind of it's a little bit like food stamps for babies. But in this in this realm, what is what is what they do is it create the states create monopolies by selecting a single qualified supplier. So you only have one supplier. So in other words, a lot of times with WIC, you just take your your voucher in and you choose the cheese or milk or whatever that you want. But when it comes to formula, there's only one choice and each state makes a choice of, of a company. So it just so happens that Abbott is the major player there. And so when Abbott is taken offline, you know, they're forced to shut down a plant. Well, there's a lot of states that are in a lot of problems and the WIC program makes up about 60% of the formula. So Mike Lee's plan would basically address this. It would address the supply chain uh, trade barrier problem by lifting tariffs and, qu and quotas, making it uh, available for us to buy from companies uh, abroad in Mexico or in Europe, which is where uh, a couple of them are. And it would allow the WIC mothers to choose vouchers to purchase, purchase a different formula from any producer. Todd, do you have any feedback on that or any thoughts? I wanted to clear the record on that because I, it's just very frustrating to me that our delegation was, was just roundly criticized, I think by both papers, and they never really looked into the details to figure out like, what is the problem here? And I actually think Mike Lee has a real solution to the real problem. Well, a couple of things. Um, you know, I was on Twitter a few weeks ago um, criticizing President Biden for um, inaction. Now, he's, uh, he's since taken a lot of action on the baby formula, which I applaud him for. But it was funny because some Democrats on Twitter were, were pushing back on me three weeks ago saying, hey, you know, these are private companies. What role does government play? But And you've done a great job of outlining this. So first of all, they've kind of created monopolies, not only through the WIC program and kind of picking winners. Uh, there are no, I mean, the losers are out of business, but also with these silly labeling requirements, which has kept the international formula basically out of the U.S. market. And it's not because it's substandard formula or it's harmful right, for right. babies. It's just these um, tic-tac-y. And then the government came in and shut down, you know, this plant in Michigan, which we all know now, and, and it's been shut down for months and months and months. And I don't know what they expected to happen. We already had, we've had supply chain problems for over a year now. And you take, you know, something like 80% of the domestic manufacturing and, you know, uh, someone told me, I heard this yesterday, someone said, this is not like your favorite granola bar being not on the shelf. So you buy something else or you get a different brand. I mean, if you have a child, especially if you have a child who has uh, special formula needs, I'm not talking about special needs children. I'm talking about some children will only eat a certain kind of formula. Um, then um, you didn't really have an alternative. And we've had mothers in Utah driving up and down you know, hundreds of miles looking for the yeah. the only formula that either their child will eat or the only formula that they can eat. And this is, this is, I mean, it's amazing in 2020 um, that we're having this. And, and lastly, I just want to say, this is not a situation for, for many of these children and for, and for many of their parents, this is not a situation where you can just substitute it with 
um, you know, evaporated milk or something like that. And if you go back in history, um, before formula was widely available, uh, you know, to the public, a lot of a lot of children died of malnourishment and mm-hmm. failure to thrive. And and what I mean, there have always been children born that uh, that that needed some type of high. You know, either their mothers couldn't couldn't breastfeed or couldn't produce enough milk to keep up. And I know that that's been an issue in, in my family. I mean, with my wife, Absolutely, she, yeah. my, my wife nursed, but she couldn't, she couldn't produce enough milk to, uh, to keep up. And so his a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, a lot of these children that require formula today to thrive would have passed away. And we would have put on the birth certificate, you know, failure to thrive or malnutrition or something like that. And so this is a real problem. And, um, this is a problem primarily created by the federal government, not just Joe Biden. It was the federal government under Trump and under Obama and under Bush and under, you know, Clinton, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, I think that my criticism three weeks ago was absolutely appropriate. And I think the response and bringing in this formula from Switzerland and other things that has happened is absolutely appropriate. And it looks like in, um, you know, in two months, uh, we'll probably work through all these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, because I do think that you know, the, the Biden administration and the FDA have performed very poorly. But it is the case, too, that that Trump's uh, USMCA, U.S.-Mexico trade agreement, actually, Mexico-Canada trade agreement actually increased the tariffs and actually made it more difficult to get uh, to get formula from Canada. So, I mean, that was during the Trump administration. That's worth saying. And I'm glad you, you mentioned, uh, you know, mothers and breastfeeding. And we're not going to question at all, like, mothers' decisions to breastfeed or how much they can produce or not or choose formula. Those are all personal decisions. I think this is something that we should, yeah, all well, just and sometimes attack and try just, to solve the problem. Sometimes they're decisions and sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just yeah. a, a lack of capacity. But but back to your question, because I forgot to answer that. I absolutely support our, our Utah delegation. Uh, and there were Democrats who voted no on this as well. This this was a boondoggle. Um, our Congress today, if there's a problem, the, they, only, they, only, they only understand one thing. If there's a problem, throw money in Next topic. Let's see. We, we the De- Deseret News did a series of polls that I would think would be fun to talk about. One of them uh, asked voters who are registered as Republicans or who are unaffiliated and planning to register as Republicans uh, who they support in the U.S. Senate race between Mike Lee, Becky Edwards, Ali Isom, or basically other undecided. And the poll shows that forty nine percent of Expected Republican voters, 49% for Lee, 19 for Becky Edwards, 6 for Ali Isom, and 26 undecided with a margin of error of 4.3%. Todd, how do you interpret these results? Well, I think it's those undecideds. I mean, those people are, are going to have to decide. You know, ballots get mailed out in just over a week. Um, most of uh, the people watching, you know, this or listening to this on a podcast, you're going to have a ballot on your kitchen table in about 10 days. And so those undecideds are going to have to decide. And, you know, some of them are going to vote for Mike Lee and some of them are going to vote for Becky Edwards and a few of them are going to vote for Allie. But I think, you know, Allie Isom is a, I know you're friends with her and I've been friends with her. She's a tremendous person, but for whatever reason, um, she hasn't caught on. Um, She's not going to drop out, obviously. And even if she dropped out today, which she won't, but her name would still be on the ballot because those ballots have been printed. They've been mailed overseas. People in the military are already voting, by the way, under, you know, the way our current scheme is. But, um, 
Uh, Mike Lee's going to win the primary. Becky's going to finish second, a distant second. Um, you know, I, I think her number will go up from 19. I think she, for whatever reason, she did announce before Allie a year ago. Um, she kind of um, got that anti-Mike Lee or the, you know, the people looking for another option. She, you know, she, she she maximized on that energy. And even though she's not as conservative as Allie Isom, certainly, she even finished second at the you know state convention, which we talked about back in April. So um, yeah, but I, I don't see any scenario where Mike Lee um, doesn't doesn't win the primary. Yeah, so forty nine percent is not a super strong showing for him. And remember, you and I have a wager. Yeah, I, I said he would be under sixty, and you said no way. And I, I was going to mention that. <laughs> I'm sticking with my with my prediction. I mean, it will be interesting to see whether he can reach sixty. I bet it. I bet it's uh, at the very least in the upper fifties what he gets. But it's not the strongest showing for him. But it does show that he has the support that he needs in order to win. Yeah, there's twenty six percent that are undecided. I don't think that all those are going to flow to to Becky and Allie. I, I personally thought that that Allie would have gotten a lot more traction by now, but um, you know, I think you're probably right that a lot of the anti Mike Lee has gone to Becky Edwards, but even she is not polling significantly higher than her convention number, which was 11. No. And here, you know, she's, she's at uh, 19. So, you know, 7% higher, but, uh, but let, I mean, let me... in, this, in this poll, we should recognize that like the, it isn't including the unaffiliated and uh, folks who's, who are unaffiliated and say, say they will register Republican, you, you know, better than me, like what the date, the deadline is. But we're probably va- uh, approaching it very quickly. And so, uh, if you are a registered, if you're a registered Democrat and you want to vote, you want to switch to Republican and vote in the primary, you had to do that like two months ago. We 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 changed mm-hmm. the date on that because of the Huntsman primary for governor. But if you're unaffiliated, I think you can still go and 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 change your affiliation up up through and including the date of the election. And so uh, you, you're going to see some of those, but not a ton. But let me push back on that high number of undecided. Mike Lee has been the U.S. Senator for Utah for 11 years. If, if, if he's been the Senator for 11 years and you're still not sure about him, uh, I, think a, I think the majority of those people will vote uh, for either Allie or Becky, just because he, he is the known quantity, right? Uh, some of them certainly will vote for Mike, but I, 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 would, I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if Becky goes up to closer to 30% on, on, you know, when all the votes are counted. That's an interesting take. You may be right, but it does make me wonder is uh, I mean, is, is Mike Lee going to go up with commercials or something like that? Because right now, if, if you're undecided, maybe you're saying to yourself, I don't know that I love Mike Lee, but I don't know anything about these other two ladies. Yeah. I want to learn about them. And maybe what they're going to get is a bunch of mailers and see a bunch of commercials that, uh, that will define Becky or something. Uh, maybe not, though. You know, I, I don't know what the campaign's going to do. But all right, another poll, very interesting. Again, Des News Hinckley Institute. They asked Utahns whether they most identify politically with Mitt Romney or with Donald Trump or other. Those were the choices. So, asking all Utah voters—that would include even Democrats—fifty-one percent say they're for Romney. 31 or 37% say they affiliate more with Trump. 12% say neither. But when you ask Republicans only, 42% say Romney, 51% say Trump, and 8% say other. What do you take away from this poll? Well, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, I think that Trump is slightly more popular than Romney. 
among Utah Republicans. And what, what's fascinating to me is, you know, Corey, you and I probably more so than our, our listeners and our viewers, you know, we're out there delving in the, the Republican Facebook pages, things. I'm, I'm pretty active on the big tent Republicans. I know you're, you're active in, in, in some other pages. And if you looked at those pages, you would think that every single Republican in the state hated Mitt Romney. Um, <laughs> and that is certainly not true. 42% is um, pretty healthy. And I'm going to guess that even you know many of Trump's 51% on that poll, many of those 51% still don't hate Mitt Romney and might even vote for him for re-election in 2024 yeah. should he choose to run. And so, again, you have a very vocal, mi- not minority, but you have a very vocal segment of the Utah Republican Party that, you know, they act like um, Romney and, and Cox are the worst human beings that have ever walked the face of the earth. But but they're they're not representative of uh, of, the, of the the majority of the Utah primary voters. It is definitely true that if you if you were spending your time talking with the grassroots or the party regulars, you uh, this this is not what you would take away. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it actually shows more strength for Romney to your point than, than I would have expected, actually. I mean, 42% is actually pretty solid. Um, it does imply that there's enough Republicans that are unhappy with Romney's approach. I don't know if that would actually translate into potential primary challenge or support one way or the other. But, I mean, the voters who said neither or other, that's pretty interesting. And I, I, wish, they had, I, wish, I wish Des News had the money to, like, dive in and do a focus group with these folks because – I part of me expected a little higher number there, but in any case, it'd be just fascinating to know what these guys are thinking. I mean, I, I guess my assumption is they don't, they, they support Trump's policies. They don't love Trump's, uh, you know, tweeting type stuff necessarily, but they, maybe they still see Romney as too moderate. I mean, who knows? That's pure conjecture, but it'd be interesting to find out. I made a comment to you a couple of days ago, and I just want to reiterate that for our listeners. I believe if you repeated this poll every year for the next 10 years, I think you would see Trump go down and Romney go up. Um, and, and, and what I'm trying to say is I think t- Trump has peaked, I mean, in the past in his effectiveness. And I think we saw that on um, Tuesday um, when, you know, his selected candidates in the Georgia primary lost. I mean, Kemp, I mean, Kemp, the, the the guy uh, Purdue who Trump endorsed over Kemp lost by over thirty percent, I think thirty five percent, which is a phenomenal loss. Yeah. And and yet, even with I mean, which really makes me question now the value of Trump's endorsement. And yet, we saw just yesterday or on last Saturday up in Wyoming, Trump was speaking at a rally against you know Liz Cheney, um, and we had two of our congressional candidates up there in Wyoming instead of campaigning two weeks before the ballots go out, they're up in Wyoming trying to get Trump's endorsement. I don't think either one of them will, but the, it, it's an interesting psychology that I don't want to go knock on doors in my district. I want to go to Wyoming and try to get, um, try to kiss Trump's ring, ring to get him to tell people to vote for me. Yeah, it is fascinating. And the reports come back, coming out of that rally was that the most of the license plates in the parking lot were from out of state, were from Utah, from Colorado, from Montana. Well, Wyoming only has a half million people in the whole state. I know, and they they I can't mean, all go to the same Salt thing. Lake County, Salt Lake County's population is significantly larger than all of the state of Wyoming. But, you yeah, know, Sean Reyes was up there and spoke. He was a featured speaker. Mike Lindell was there, uh, the MyPillow guy. So, uh, oh, and our state party chair uh, was, was there from Utah and, and got uh, 
a brief meeting with Trump. So anyways, I, I did not make the trip. So I'll it definitely see. shows. I mean, what happened in Georgia shows that, that, that just Trump picking a candidate is not enough. I mean, Purdue is a complete numb nuts as a candidate and, uh, and you know, you have to be a good candidate too. You can't just rely on Trump. All right. We're, we're running out of time here. Very last thing. I want to, uh, one last poll that was super interesting. We know that the Utah Democrats voted not to nominate a Democratic candidate. Instead, are going to throw their support behind McMullen. Well, the uh, Des, Des News Hinckley Institute asked what folks in Utah thought of that decision. If, when you ask uh, Democrats, they say 50% of them agree and 30, 36% disagree, 14% don't know. So it seems like uh, pretty close to a majority of Democrats thought that was the right move. I still think that's incredibly pathetic, but that's neither here nor there. Republicans, though, very interesting. Only 33% thought it was a good idea. 46% disagree and 21 don't know. I mean, obviously, some of that is, you know, the GOP answers are, it's, it's a little bit of sort of like uh, a little bit uh, of a, the annoyance that uh, of the entire McMullen project, which is to yeah. try to pull from both sides. But, you know, it was also interesting to me real quick about this poll is that what the Republicans thought was almost near identical to what all Utah voters thought. So it was just one more reiteration that like Utah is solidly Republican, overwhelmingly. But let, let me just emphasize how big of a deal that this is that 36% of the, uh, of the Democrats are saying this wasn't a good idea because they're not going to vote for Evan McMullen. They're either going to write in Kale Weston, they're not going to return their ballots, or they're going to leave that, that election blank or vote for the Libertarian or something like that. Um, and the 50% of Democrats that are saying, um, yes, this was a good idea. What they're saying is, we hate Mike Lee so much that we're willing to abandon all of our principles to try to have a chance at defeating him, which is really a sad commentary on the state of politics in Utah. It really is. All right. That's the last word. We're over time. Thanks a lot, Todd. Thank you, Corey.